Hello everyone, I'd like to welcome you to the Redemption 10B podcast where we believe that all of life is all for Jesus. My name is Warren Williams and today I'm joined by the usual suspect, uh, AC, ministry intern, AC, say what's up to the people. Hey man, we made it to the end. To the end, man, to the end, to the end. So, I mean, I hope you just, you've been, you guys been following along and, um, you know, I hope we've been able to just help you walk along the True Story Project and yeah, like AC said, man, we're at the end. And it's definitely been a good journey. Um, I, you know, I hope that this opportunity to read through Scripture has given you a better understanding of Scripture, um, under, understanding where it fits, and understanding where we fit. Right. So, with that being said, um, we're getting into the last book of the Bible, the scariest book, the book that's probably one of the most uh, misunderstood. Yeah. You know, in so many different ways. Um, I know this book has been uh, a source of like fear. You know, a source of fear and like uses a, a, a book of like damnation to people. And I am i can't wait to just get into, you know, a lot of the things that are going on Revelation in Revelations. And so that we can get a better understanding of some things that are actually imagery. But like, like we always do, you know, we always start with the question or quick game to kind of just get our minds running. And today's topic is on a topic that we love to discuss here on the podcast, uh, along with music and uh, sports, it's been uh, movies, movies. Right? Movies have played a big part in uh, you know this podcast, <laughs> and I hope we haven't uh, uh, tired you out with all the hip hop or confused you yeah, with all the hip hop and sports references. All he yeah. knows is sports, music, and hip hop. That's true, man. That's true. So yeah, put all the blame to AC. Fill out your uh, your connect cards. Blame AC. <laughs> but uh, with that being said, so as most of you know, you know the ending of a movie can really make it or break it. Sometimes you know, sometimes you get to an end, and you're just like. Really? Yeah. You know? And then there are some, some movies where you got to end, and you're like, oh, now that makes sense. Yeah, like right? now this is a now, movie. Yeah, now, okay, this movie is taken to the next level because they have tied up the end so beautifully, right? Mm-hmm. So let's start with like a, a movie where the ending has just completely disappointed you. Um, what do you got, AC? Um, I, the Matrix trilogy. Okay. So like the first one was amazing. Right. And the way it ended, you're thinking... What's gonna happen now? Yeah, you know, yeah. Neo is basically like unstoppable. It's right. Be ra- but the ending of the of the third Matrix, man, like a lot of it didn't make sense. Yeah. And then like somehow when he dies, he like explodes into a ball of light, and they don't ever explain that. You're just supposed to be like, oh, okay. You know what? The ending of those movies seem like a money grab. Yeah, the second and the third yeah, one. Yeah, the man. second and third felt like money grabs because sometimes, you know, they capture something so different and original with the first, and they're like, whoa, we can definitely make a hundred more million dollars, you know, off yeah. of this. And then, you know, the story gets a little muddled, and you're just like, ah, that was disappointing. You know, so I, I, my belief is that some movies should be kept to one. Yeah, absolutely. Just, like a sequel does not need to be made. If there's anyone in Hollywood that may be listening to this podcast, <laughs> well, you don't need a sequel to every movie. Yeah, yeah some I movies mean, just need to be left as is, and we can just rewatch it a million times. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. A movie I saw recently like this, and I people are probably like, "Why would you go see that?" But you know, it looked interesting. The concept looked interesting. Don't say Fifty Shades of Grey. No, no, not Fifty Shades <laughs> of Grey. That was, no, I'm just playing. I've never seen that movie, but. Uh, I'm sure we have some Fifty Grades, uh, Fifty Shades of Grey fans out there because it's a pretty popular series. Yeah, I guess. But we won't get into the merits of that. Um, but I saw the Belko experiment. Oh, I saw that too. Yeah, I feel like the end of that movie was very disappointing. 
Yeah, man. Very yeah. disappointed because the concept of you know like randomly being implanted with these bombs and you know the the the, the I guess the the human element that went into like how it progressed you know I, yeah I, th- I was fascinated yeah I was fascinated by like the psychology exactly aspect. I exactly it was interesting they exactly a lot of people and like what like what would real people look right. like in this situation right and pack mentality came yeah. into play so it was actually interesting was really good but and then, then the ending it, it made just, it seem hokey and like it was just disappointing yeah you know, I just like, ugh, yeah, not not impressed. But uh, we don't want to harp on <laughs> the bad stuff too much. What is what is one movie that you felt had like a good ending? You were like, oh man, that was great. Yeah, there's a couple movies that come to mind that actually the way that it ended uh-huh. makes the movie better. Gotcha. Like the gotcha. Sixth Sense. I feel like the only reason we even talk about the Sixth Sense is the way that it ended. Right, right, yeah. To it, find out that Bruce Willis was actually a ghost, and if that's a spoiler alert, you're about like. 20 years almost too late so. yeah, yeah. And, and it'll still be fun watching yeah. it knowing the yeah. ending cause one of those you gotta watch it again knowing exactly. the ending oh, okay. exactly and then you see like you know some movies that they try to make that ending like oh this was happening all along but you're like no that's not likely yeah. but when you watch that movie over you see how he was never acknowledged by the people who were actually right. living and it's like whoa yeah. and M. Night Shyamalan you know he tried to remake uh, some movies with some endings and it didn't go too well I saw The Village and I was just like ah eh, you know okay but you know that one really landed yeah yeah. that one really landed for I, me oh, sorry. Sorry. the other one yeah. is Usual Suspects like I okay. gotta give credit to that movie yes because that made now it's a classic in a right. sense like it's a really good movie it's a cult classic yeah. yeah the yeah. way it ends exactly I would say also um, City of God I just rewatched that movie for like the third time and if you haven't seen it it's a foreign film it's all in Portuguese uh, the story and the ending is just mind-blowing. It actually starts with the ending, but then the story to how you get there is just crazy. If you haven't seen that one, I would say you should see it. It's not safe for children, but it's a great <laughs> movie. It's on Netflix, actually, too. So Yeah, use use your discernment. You know, we talk yeah. a, lot, a lot about different movies right. that are R-rated and have different content. Right. Um, and... You know, there's there's the one stance where it's like I want to I don't want to see anything that has those types of things in it. Yeah. But then honestly, I, that's a bit problematic. Right. Because the Bible has already exactly. Seven, you know. But on the other hand, you don't want to just like gratuitously just watch anything. Right. Because whatever you do over and over and over again shapes you. Exactly. Exactly. So use use like AC said, use discernment. Obviously, some things are not meant for kids because they do they just won't understand, and it's not you know for their minds to intake at that age. But you know these are still great films and they tell a story just as uh you know scripture also tells a story and a lot of times these stories mirror scripture but that's mm-hmm. all and i guess that's a good plug for our film nights if you haven't <laughs> if you haven't been there because we'll be talking through that but also moving right along right into revelation where does this fit where does the book fit into the true story it's right at the end you know it's mm-hmm. right at the end so um you know we're talking about endings that can make or break stories hmm. i think that's the case with the bible as well because hmm. the first two chapters are dope and the last two chapters are dope. Very much so. Everything else in between, there's a lot of pain, right. suffering, sorrow, death. Right. And like we said, R-rated NC-17 stuff yeah. that happens in the Bible. Yeah. That's heartbreaking. Exactly. It's heartbreaking. And so, um, and it's easy for us to, or I should say, it's, it's hard for us a lot of times to grapple with God's goodness hmm. because of 
what we see now in the world today. Right. You know, you scroll through your Twitter feed, you read the newspaper. It's everywhere. Yeah, you yeah. check your Facebook and see what your friends and family are going through and what right. they're praying for. And it's easy to think like, man, did God mess up? Like, what kind hmm. of story is this? Right. But the revelation shows how it will end. Exactly. And it makes the story beautiful. Yeah, I mean, God has given us the ending in which Christ reigns supreme, right? And I, like AC said, it's so hard to see that sometimes. I mean, you read your news, your news feed, you read your news sources, and it's just pain, division, and people just, and just an outcry for help. But I mean, we as believers know that uh, Christ ultimately wins, and we will ultimately reign with him here on earth. So um, what type of literature is Revelation? Well, you know, there's a lot going on in there and i think if we don't understand the literature that would be the easiest way to misinterpret things you are so right one yeah. because um and i know if you've been listening to the podcast long enough you hear this question so many times um and the reason why we ask this question is because every book of the bible is written in a, a distinct uh, genre of literature. Yeah. Now, this isn't unique to the Bible. This is regular human experience. Exactly. You know, we have we have legal documents. We have newspapers. We have poetry. We have uh, Facebook posts. You know, like we all these different types of literature. <laughs> yeah. And you read them differently. Exactly. You're not going to read a legal contract the same way that you read what somebody posts on Facebook. You may, but you shouldn't. <laughs> you shouldn't, right? You're not going to like read poetry right. or music. You hear like things in songs. And you're not going to like hold musicians to every literal thing that they say because right. it's poetry, right, you know, it's evoking right, imagery. Right. So it's important to know the genre of literature. Revelation is hard because it's a genre of literature that pretty much does not exist anymore today. Huh. So it's foreign to us and it's called apocalyptic literature. Okay. In the time of Jesus, it was super common and super popular. The type of uh, uh, literature it is, it's usually um, has a lot of like imagery and 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 symbols uh, a lot of numbers a lot of like weird imagery speaking of the end of days because um, this is a time where the jewish people and we talked about this before at the beginning of the gospels and at the end of the old testament we talked about how the people were left in this weird place where god had called them and and starting in genesis 12 with abraham was going to bless all the families of the earth through his through his seed and yet Israel had done everything but that. They had been worse than the surrounding nations. And instead of pointing people to God, they turned people away from the true God. Yep. Um, and then they lose the land. The temple is destroyed. Um, they're sent to Babylon. And then they suffer because they're no longer in power. Now they're a minority group in an oppressive empire. Hmm. Um, and whether it's under the Babylonians, under the Persians, or even under the Romans, the Jewish people had this sense of um, this is not the way things are supposed to be. Right. But God is ultimately in control. Right. God will judge the nations and he will establish his kingdom. And the way that they would write these things would be using heavy, heavy symbolism and imagery, which is revelation. So you see things in revelation where you have like locusts and you have, yeah. you know, these weird descriptive creatures that don't right, exist in right. reality. Beast and yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and yeah. You don't see yeah. that in the epistles. Right. You don't see that in, right. uh, in, in narrative. 
you know, in, in the Gospels or, or in Deuteronomy and stuff like that. You only see that in Revelation. You see it in Daniel. You see a little bit in Ezekiel. Um, so that's what type of uh, genre it is. Yeah, and I, um, you know, if we think back on uh, Scripture, you know, we went through the Old Testament. We looked in Daniel, and Daniel also contains a lot of uh, this imagery. And, you know, when people look at the book of Daniel, some may say, oh, like, you know, also Daniel it did contain this imagery, imagery, but it was also describing events that were to right. come right right so it, do you think that's probably an easy way for people to read revelation now and kind of say oh these are or it's, or it's foretelling events that will happen in our context yeah i think that um it's really really important if you really want to dig into revelation you have to know your Old Testament, yeah, because John does. Right there, there are over wow. scholars say there's over 250 allusions or references to the Old Testament wow. in Revelation. Wow. Um, so what I want to do is just I'm gonna like read off this list. Now, if you're in a car, you listen to this. This might be a little boring for about 15 seconds, but maybe later you can jot this down. Or if you're in a position and you, you, this is for those of you who want to do the extra research in the Old Testament. I'm gonna give you a list of scriptures. Um, as you go through the book of Revelation. So chapters 1 through 3 of Revelation, there's allusions to Daniel 7, chapter 10, chapter 12, Ezekiel 43, Isaiah 48, chapters 4 through 5 of Revelation. Again, those chapters in Daniel, Genesis 49, Ezekiel 1 through 3, Isaiah chapter 6, chapter 11, chapter 6 through 9, Genesis 17, Exodus 7 through 11, specifically the plagues. Numbers chapter one, specifically the census. Hey, look, a census is actually like an important hermeneutical tool instead of like <laughs> something like it's boring we skip over. Right, right. Um, Isaiah two, uh, Joel one through two, Zechariah, uh, the book of Malachi, chapters 10 through 11, Ezekiel two through three, Zechariah two, chapters 12 through 14 of Revelation, Genesis three, Exodus 15, Deuteronomy six, Daniel. Uh, chapters 15 through 16, again, the plagues in Exodus 7 through 11, uh, the battle that's described in Ezekiel 38 through 39, chapter 17 through 20, Isaiah, a lot of Isaiah, chapters 11, 13, 23, 24, 47 through 49 and 52, Jeremiah 50 to 51, Ezekiel 26 to 27, Daniel again, and then finally the last two chapters of Revelation. Uh, read Genesis 2, look to see how Eden is described. And then you'll see echoes of that as well in 22, as well as Zephaniah 3, Ezekiel 47. In general, though, like if you don't want to like listen to all that and write all that down, in general, the must-read books in the Old Testament to grasp the imagery and the symbols that John uses, I would say Daniel, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Genesis. Huh. Yeah, it's so important. Um, you know, I... Uh, AC just ran through that laundry list of, yeah. of books, but I think it's so important that, like you said, John didn't have a New Testament. You right. Know? And, and you, that may sound so simple or uh, it may sound like we're just, you know, uh, I guess challenging your intelligence, but I think in our context, it's always easy to think like, oh, this is how things have always been, right? right? People always had the full revelation of scripture and they did not. So they had the New Testament. So the, the imagery that John is using in Revelation is alluding many times back to events and images that occurred in the Old Testament. So that's just key. Mm -hmm. That's key here. I mean, that's key to to us not saying something as crazy as the next presidential election is lines up with this scripture right. of Revelation, you right. know, and I, like it, it sounds silly, but you know, it that is very common. Yeah, 
You know, I mean, we I hear it all the time. You see it on your Facebook, and it's unfortunate because, I, you know, it's just it's just a misinterpretation. And it's it, it's very misleading in a lot of ways, and also a very uh, Western centric almost. Yeah, yeah, you absolutely. Yeah. We, we, we want to figure everything <laughs> yeah. out. You know? Yeah, so, so um, moving right along here, what are some helpful strategies? We always want to do this when we uh, you know approach a different book or a new a new book. What are some helpful strategies as we read Revelation? Um, a couple things. John, in chapter one, he calls this letter the words of this prophecy. Um, and again, which with as much um, quotation and reference to the Old Testament that John does, you have to see that phrase in this light too. And I think that John sees himself following in the footsteps of the Old Testament prophets, hmm. knowing he's inspired by the same spirit. Why is that important when you read Revelation? Because John sees the end of the story as the fulfillment of the entire story. Wow. Especially the Old Testament. Because like you said, Warren, they didn't have a New Testament. Right. They had an Old Testament. So that was the story that they had. And Revelation is the final conclusion of that story. Um, so each significant moment in Revelation has an Old Testament connection. So as you're reading through it. You know, be trying to make those Old Testament connections before you start jumping to interpretation. Um, the coolest one to me I like is at the end with the New Jerusalem. Um, there's some echoes of Eden, uh, the way that it's described, right. the tree of life and other things like that. Yep. And so um, it just really shows in a poetic way that the curse will be completely reversed. Wow. Completely reversed. Thankfully. Yes. Thank God. Yeah. Um, the other thing... And I mentioned this before, so I'll just briefly touch on it, is that John uses apocalyptic imagery. Um, so these are fantasy images. You have stuff that doesn't exist, like a beast with ten heads, hmm. a, a woman clothed with the sun. Um, the most important symbols, most of them John interprets himself. So like in chapter 1, he identifies Christ. Um, in, cha in chapter 1, verse 20, he identifies that symbol as the church. 12.9, he identifies the dragon as Satan. And 17 verses 9 and 18, he identifies that symbol as Rome. Um, so it's important to to anchor your reading in, uh, in what John reveals. So when he explicitly huh. interprets a symbol, go with that. Don't yeah, with exactly, else. exactly. And then some images, scholars tend to have almost universal as much as you can with a polarizing book like this. Um, some of the images, like a beast out of the sea, most scholars agree that it usually indicates some kind of evil empire. Um, a lot of the other images, though, are really controversial. And sometimes um, I think that John is trying to evoke a feeling so or, or trying to describe a scene and trying to get a point across so what that means is when you read each individual vision, ask yourself, what is the whole vision saying? As opposed to what we tr try to do sometimes is identify every single detail in the vision. What does this mean? What does that mean? We do this with the parables. I mean, um, I think it was Clement, one of the uh, early church fathers who interpreted the parable of the Good Samaritan and like... Um, everything had a meaning. The innkeeper represented this. The road represented this. You know, and it's like, that's not what the parable is doing. It's the same right. thing with these visions. I don't think, not all of them are meant to like, every single detail has a significant meaning. Hmm. It, it, it's just take it as a whole. Right. And then what is, what is going on? 
And there's also an element that John was writing. This was a letter he was writing, yes. right? So he's writing to an actual people group, right. right? So, I mean, for them, for us to even try to also equate everything in our context, like that wouldn't seem like the purpose of why John would right. would write a letter to the people who were currently here, right? right? So what would the original audience have understood? Yeah, so the, the historical context, uh, most scholars believe that this is written later in John's life, Nero, who, according to tradition, killed Peter and Paul and persecuted Christians after right. the fire in Rome in 64. He died. He passed away. But a lot of scholars believe that Domitian is uh, the emperor who's in charge at the time of the writing. And historically, we know he unleashed one of like the most fierce waves. Mm. When you study Roman history... We kind of have this idea of the early church that it was like continual persecution all the time. But when you study uh, church history, it seems to like come in waves. Right. And under Domitian, it was like one of the most intense waves. Hmm. So what what you have is you have these believers who a lot of them are Gentiles. Yeah. Right. And um, they are wrestling with cultural idolatries, hmm. which we've talked about in previous podcasts. Yep. But... Um, some of them are compromised. And so in Revelation 2 and 3, John writes letters to the seven churches and he calls out some of them on their apathy or their compromise, their corruption. But the other temptation in the face of persecution is to, um, is to give up hmm. and to quit and to um, not claim the name of Christ right. and to not try to live your life in a public way. Yeah. Um, which, so which you know, like a lot of a lot of times we would be like, oh, you know, I would stand, you know, for regardless of the persecution. And that may be true for some of us, but for a lot of us, lot you of know, us, in the face of, you know, of we're not as you a Bible question. Yeah, we're not as brave as sometimes as we think. Yes. Yeah. And I'm included in that. Yeah, like, I, I agree. I'm in that too. Yeah. Where I, I didn't yeah. say anything. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, so anyways, these Christians are experiencing suffering because of their identification with Christ and because of their faithfulness to Christ. Right. So what John is trying to do is to comfort and encourage them and to yeah. show them, look, Rome will not last. Mm. Rome will fall. And what he does is what Daniel does and what a lot of apocalyptic imagery does is it it shows like there's an immediate fulfillment in the sense of this empire that's oppressing God's people will be judged but it's always cast in the light of the final judgment. Wow. And that's where a lot of confusion comes into play as far as like, uh, you know, um, is it only talking about Rome or is this talking about other stuff too? And then you have all those different uh, camps and controversies. Yeah, which is just, I, I don't, I kind of, it's hard for me to understand because, I mean, it's, whether it's talking about Rome or any kingdom, all kingdoms will fall eventually. I mean, the book says that, like, Christ reigns supreme. That's the only kingdom that will be everlasting. So, right. I mean, it, you know, it doesn't, I don't think we should get caught up in, uh, you know, whether it's Rome or whether it's with Spain or whatever, whatever empire came along later, all of them have ri uh, risen and fell and fallen. Yeah. So, um, you know, and, and, We've been talking a lot about just misinterpretation around around surrounding this book, and there's also there's been a lot of controversy and debate. Um, what are some of the different ways you think people interpret or misinterpret Revelation? So there's some major 
uh, schools of thought concerning eschatology, which means, you know, study of end, end times. End times, right. Yeah. Um, so what I'm going to do, I, I, my intent is not to, like, give a full exhaustive summary of each mm-hmm. one. And nor, like, to be fair, there's subcategories right. in each of these two. I'm not going to get into those. I just want to give you a general idea. So when you hear these terms, you you know what people are talking about. Yeah, and you can do all... You, Please do your own research as well. Right. You know, we can't, there's no way we can possibly go through each, the, the, the minute details of each one of these positions. But, right. you know, so they, if you hold yeah. to one of these positions, you're like, AC, hey, bruh, you didn't even really go over it that much. I'm not trying to, yeah, I'm not the purpose. To give you the general premise behind yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what did the author intend to do? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> premillennial uh, is a super popular one. Um, this. Uh, the word millennial, and a lot of these have the word millennial in them, mm-hmm. whether pre, post, millennial. The reason why is because millennium is a thousand years. And in Revelation 20, um, there is this 1,000-year reign of Christ right. that's described. Um, so premillennials believe that that is a literal 1,000-year reign and that um, before that takes place, Things are going to get worse and worse and worse. And in fact, there's going to be like this major evil end time government or kingdom Hmm. that Christ must like depose once he returns. So basically things are going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse until finally there's this like evil empire like Rome. Right. um, And uh, Christ is going to come back and 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 uh, and destroy it and then rule for a literal thousand years and then afterwards there's going to be another battle and then there will be the final consummation so that's pre-millennial post-millennial is that the uh christ comes after the thousand years so um pre-millennial so pre-millennial he comes before the thousand year reign post-millennial he comes after the millennial reign and the way this is seen is like sometimes it's not a little thousand years sometimes it's a figurative and, but basically, the idea of post-millennial is that the church is going to have such an influence on the world that things are going to get better and better and better until Christ returns. Mm. Um, that one's not as popular today. Um, I, and honestly, I think that um, a lot of these schools of thought are like rooted in the times that right. they were birthed. Right. So like with post-millennial, there was a lot of optimism of the future. Right. You know, there's a lot of like what, what's called the social gospel and a lot yeah. of like ideas of like, man, we can make the world a better place. Mm. And then uh, the 20th century happened. Yeah. World <laughs> wars and yeah. yeah so things aren't as... Yeah. Like really, really took off. Right. Um, then there's amillennial, which uh, ah, uh, no thousand years. So in other right. words, like there is no literal thousand years. So when Revelation talks about a thousand years in, in chapter 20, it's not a literal thing. Basically, it's this... Um, indefinite time this long age between Christ's first and second coming so to put it another way a more simpler way um, basically the differences between these schools of thought are how you answer these questions are the events described in Revelation mostly future mostly past or a mixture and another question will things get gradually better and better and better or worse and worse and worse or will it be a mixture until Christ returns? Is the thousand year reign in Revelation 20 literal or figurative? If it's literal, does Christ come back before or after it? And if it's figurative, then what does it represent? Um, so those are the basic questions that it gets around. Personally, I think the problem with some of these views is that um, they try to fit every detail into the past or into the future. 
And so like you'll read Revelation and if you think it's all mostly past, you look through history and you try to like sometimes put a round peg in a square right, hole. And, right. and same thing with, with, with futurists. Who yeah. will, everything is in the future, so it's like, okay, well this is gonna be this future thing. Exactly. And, this yeah. future thing. and then you have these like wild, wild things, and I think that's where you start getting the weird um, interpretations. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I mean, given these three schools of thought, where does redemption fall into this? We're we have oh, we're open handed. So um, you know, if you if you're a member, thinking about coming a member, eschatology is not one of those areas where you know we ask you to uh, to sign a covenant, a member covenant, saying that you adhere to these and believe that it's an open handed thing. You know, um, it's not like other issues that are that are core to who redemption is. Right. Eschatology completely open. In fact, if you talk to different pastors on staff, they might have different ideas. Yeah, that's um, very true. The only thing that we as a church like reject completely is full preterism. And I know I didn't mention it before, but preterism is basically the idea full preterism is that every single prophecy in Revelation or in general in the Bible has already been fulfilled. Hmm. And so even Christ's second coming, the final judgment, the resurrection, all of those things have been somehow symbolically fulfilled. And we reject that because we believe, no, like Christ is literally coming yeah. back. He hasn't come back yet. Like he's coming exactly. back. Um, you know, like I just see that as, you know, I, I help uh, with some of the new member classes with John Crawford and Will Vukovic, um and you know that's always a question that comes up you know, mm. what do you guys believe and it's just because you know and it seems like sometimes within the church it's like you either have to have this black or white right. position you know there's no like you know they, they, they don't see this necessarily as an open hand issue and um you know it i i think that you know the our position is great you know like we emphasize i think what revelation also emphasizes like you know christ is going to reign supreme at the ending mm-hmm. and um you know we don't wait for you know uh, uh uh you know for for until that comes you know we have to act or play into like the the, the story right now right you know what i mean right. so absolutely yeah i think i think i think that's a you know great position to be in not necessarily school too heavily in one camp right which is why you hear us at uh, at redemption when we talk about revelation what we emphasize always is the end right and um that christ is literally coming back to bring the kingdom all of creation be restored to the way it was meant to be. Heaven's coming down to earth, as John describes in uh, chapter 21. So what are some uh, implications in the book of Revelation? Um, I would say, um, really briefly, because we've talked about this in a recent podcast yeah. episode, is reflecting on restoration. Mm. The future destination always determines the path of the present journey. Um, a good example of seeing that is like Google Maps. You know, if you change the destination, what happens? It reroutes. Exactly. It reroutes, it reroutes. So the the turns that you make, the path that you take, are dependent upon where you're going. Um, and so, it's important to reflect on the restoration and to look at culture and ask, what does this aspect of culture say about the way the world should be, and what might it look like when God restores all that is broken? Um, some other implications, I would say. Uh, there's a warning against humanist idolatry. And what I mean by that is, um, if you watch the Bible Project video on Revelation, there's a cool quote um, that that, uh, the guys who who put together that video say, and at one point he says, nations become beasts 
when they exalt their own power and economic security mm. as a false god and demand total allegiance. I call this personally, and I'm copyrighted, so if you say this, I'm going to look for you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I call the Genesis 11 factor. And this is uh, Genesis 11 is where um, you have the Tower of Babel. And, you know, it might be Genesis 10. My memory's right. So <laughs> you can steal it if you want. The to. Genesis 10 and 11 factor is yeah. copyrighted, all right? Yeah, you can't, both of, both of them, right? Them. <laughs> so, uh, but no, what happens is the Tower of Babel, you have humanity coming together, forming a society and a yeah. community, but with the explicit purpose of exalting themselves into the place of God. Hmm. Um, and so that's when God splits them up. And this is always the danger of human government is that um, the temptation is when a nation becomes powerful is to trust in their military power, yeah. to trust in their economic power, yep. and to oppress others in order to retain that power. So an implication for us today is don't try not to pass from... Like, there's a difference between being patriotic and being cultic, mm. you know, to where I can love my country and I seek the good of my country versus my country is my God and it's the most ultimate important thing. Oof. Um, make sure that you place your faith not in the promises of politics, but in the Prince of Peace. I love that. And I'm again, you know us. We're not advocating like, well, just don't have anything to do with politics. Um Avoid either extreme. Engage it through the lens of revelation, which says that Christ will bring the ultimate government, um, and all human government will have to give an account for how they how they ruled. Right. Um, another implication I'll draw out is the way that we live our lives. We should be faithful, suffering witnesses. Mm. Um, the imagery of the Lamb is a huge image throughout the book of Revelation. What's interesting is that when Jesus first pops on the scene in Revelation, John falls to the ground and he's scared because Jesus looks scary. Right. He looks right. powerful. He's the king of the universe. But at some point, I believe in chapter 4, when the throne of God scene takes place, um, John sees Jesus, but he sees him as the slain lamb. And... For the rest of Revelation until the end when Christ rules and establishes rule, he's referred to as the Lamb in Revelation. Mm. And I think that's really key for our identity as a church because we're to follow in Christ's footsteps. Um, so our the way that we live should be faithful, suffering witnesses. Revelation 12, 11, talking about us, the church, um, overcoming Satan, it says, and they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. You know, there's a phrase, death before dishonor. And you can like reframe that with the Christian meaning of I would rather die than stain the name of Christ. Mm. I call this, and I did not copyright this one, so you can steal this one. I call this the Cam Newton factor. Okay. Because um, I was rooting for the Panthers when it was Panthers or Broncos because I'm a Raiders fan. Okay. So the Broncos. You can never a, root for the Broncos. Yeah, that, they're yeah. a hated enemy of the exactly. Raiders. Exactly. So I'm rooting. At one point, the football falls to the ground, and Cam Newton looks at it, and he does. Yeah, I remember that, man. I thought the game was fixed at that point. <laughs> yeah, he's like, what are you doing, Cam? You know, where his his personal safety was more important 
than the mission yeah. that they were on. Now, I'm not hating on Cam. Like, don't, don't, yeah. you know, hey, man, look, I, hey, I don't want to play with CTE either. Right, you know? exactly. So, uh, but my point in bringing that out is we can kind of be Cam Newtons when it comes to our lives. Mm. Like, I will be obedient and faithful until it costs me. Yeah. You know, what does that look like at work? I'll share a story that Tim Keller shares. He talks about um, there was this lady at this company and she really screwed up this project the company was working on and it cost a lot of money to the company. Her boss took the blame. Wow. And so then she asked, hey, why did you do that? And he kept trying to blow her off like, oh, well, you know, I just, you know, I've I've been around a long time in this company. You know, you haven't. Right. I don't want your career to be ruined. But she kept pressing and she was like, no, 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 but really what's the, and he was like, okay, I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm a Christian. And Christ sacrificed his privilege and position right so that i could not suffer for my uh shortcomings and so i wanted to just do the same thing for you and she was so blown away that she was like i want to code it whatever church you're going to i want to go to that one you know she was an atheist at the time eventually came to faith um so that's what we're talking about like you know at work it's all good and fun sharing the gospel until like now your job's on the line. Exactly. You know? Or exactly. Like even not even just evangelizing, but like what this guy did, sticking your neck out for somebody else. And not because they're your best friend, but just because they're an image bearer. Wow. And do it. Yeah. Serving when it's when it's not easy. You yeah. know, when it's tough. And um, you know, I, I actually at my at my place of work, I'm um, one of my uh coworkers, man, he has a, a book that says, you know, serving Jesus when it's hard and, and just we're faced with those temptations every day. You know, at work a lot of times we're esteemed if we can make the company an extra dollar, even if it's in uh unethical or mm-hmm. unscrupulous way. And um, you know, if we are seeing through seeing things through the lens of the gospel, you know, that needs to inform how we make our decisions at work or everywhere. And, and, everywhere. Like we always say, like this podcast starts with all of life is all for Jesus. That means everywhere. And you can only do it, I think, my personal opinion, because of the book of Revelation. Right. Because we know that Christ is the Alpha and the Omega, the exactly. first and the last, and he will rule over everything. And not one single authority that inflicts evil on someone will go unpunished or unjudged. Mm. And so that gives us the strength to, hey, put your neck on the line for somebody else. Or financially, not spend and not really do the things. You may, I mean, it's this is between you and the Lord, but it's potential that you could get in the situation where it's like you have these dreams, these financial goals, and then you actually make the money and you can do it, but the Lord puts on your heart to sacrificially give. And now that vacation or that boat or that car or yeah. that house, that dream is out the window. And the, and the things that you want to do, the, you know, there should be a tension of like, I don't get to do all the things I want to do right. because I'm being sacrificial and giving towards others. But again, I can't do that unless I believe Christ is going to right. give me the kingdom. Yeah. If we believe that it's all about the here and now, yeah, we're going to tighten our grip on whatever we have now. Yeah. You know, but time and time again, I think, and also innately, we understand that this is like, you know, the things that we try to hold on to now are fleeting. Yes. Right. I, I think we see that and we understand that, but we're so gripped by culture that um, on the day to day aspect, you know, we don't make our decisions based on Christ being the supreme victor. Right. Right. So, 
All right, um, you know, we finished the True Story Project. I guess we're done. We can close our Bibles for the rest of our lives. Is that <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, we're, 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 it. I read it. Yeah. No. It was a good book. It was a good story. <laughs> Don't let the Bible be one of those books. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. I remember I, I talked to this dude one time. I was I was trying to evangelize to him. Yeah. And I was like, but man, you, got, you really got to read the Gospel of John, man, because it's good and good. And he was like, oh, I was locked up. I read the whole Bible. I read the Quran, too. I read all that. And it's like. Yeah. That's not the... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've heard it once. The Bible is truly inexhaustible, right? Yes. You can read the the same book 20 different times and you will you will see, you know, the Lord, the Spirit will put on your heart 40 different things, yeah. right? It's it's completely inexhaustible. It's not one of those books you just close. Oh, that was a that was a good story. You know, that was a good book. Now I know. No, the, the Spirit is constantly working through, um, you know, Scripture and constantly, like, shaping us, you know, as we read. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so that's why um, you probably already heard it on stage if you came to church on the Sunday that we announced it. If you missed that announcement... On Monday, August 28th, we're hosting the True Story Project season finale. Now, we're calling it the season finale, not the series finale. Because, you know, when a TV show ends and it's over, it's right. the series finale. When it's going to come back, it's season finale. So, we finish this season. Keep reading. Yeah. That's our goal, man. That's our hope. is that, And that's why we have these podcasts and they're going to stay on the website. Right. So that you can come back later and listen to them. Use them as a reference. Um, the squid books floating around uh, use those man use that as a guide yeah uh, for the rest of your life this should be a lifelong journey the Bible as if you've been with us the whole time you've seen historically and culturally um, there's a lot of issues that make the Bible hard to understand also too if you've been with us you've been a Christian long enough it's really hard to live out the Christian faith so that's why it's important to read the Bible, number one, like Warren said, because it shapes you. And then number two, in order to better understand it and to use it, you have to read it over and over and over. Right. You know, Kobe Bryant, God bless him, has five NBA championships. Yeah. But he didn't get there overnight. No, he didn't take 10 shots and they all went in and he said, okay, no, we're good. I'm good. I can go do this NBA thing now. In fact, I remember in 1997. Huh. It's rookie season, was it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, it was '98. Yeah, I don't okay. Know. Uh, he shot four air balls in the playoffs against the Jazz. Wow, trying to come back. I mean, four air balls. Yeah. I mean, I shoot one air ball. I shot an air ball in high school, and I didn't shoot again the rest. Yeah, of the time. yeah. It, it definitely it, it, it's a confidence stealer. He shot he shot four air balls, but like him just feeling the urgency of the moment and doing what he knew he was supposed to do shaped him informed him and prepared him so that years down the later he actually did hit clutch yeah shots. many clutch shots and also many ear balls yes and you know and yeah that's and, and that's the christian life yeah that's the christian life right there when you yeah. start reading the bible as a new christian you're gonna shoot air balls exactly i used to journal so much and i look back at those old journals and i'm like man i was a heretic yeah yeah no it's true you know? it's true you think back on some of your old prayers too yeah. even your old conversations with people about you know scripture or the the Christian faith and you're like what was I even thinking right but that's life like you're gonna shoot a bunch of air balls but you know there's you know regardless of of, of how you shoot or how how life goes you know like Revelation says, we know ultimately Christ reigns, right? Yeah. And as we read, as we continue to make mistakes, learn from them and grow, you know, the the, the spirit is shaping us, right? Yeah. And sanctifying us every single day. And imagine what yeah. you'll look like 
in 20 years, if right. the Lord allows you to live 20 more years, yeah. would you rather have spent the True Story Project like cramming, you listened to every podcast, you, you watched every Bible Project video, you didn't skip a single day, but then you never touched the Bible again? Or would you rather... You're like most of us where you miss some of the reading here and there. Yeah, and like yeah. caught up and, and you know, you, you haven't listened to all the podcasts. Yeah. You haven't watched all the Bible Project videos. But, you know, you kind of stuck through it. And then uh, and you just keep sticking to it for the right. next 20 years. And you just keep reading and reading. And sometimes you miss and sometimes you don't. And sometimes you don't understand it. And sometimes the light bulb goes off. Who are you going to trust with Bible questions 20 years from now? Exactly. The person who, over a long period of time, was making these short, small steps of obedience right. in reading the Bible. Right. And reading scriptures is what's going to help us take those leaps from, you know, uh, just thinking the Bible is about good things, but and, and or the leap to actually understanding what the story is and where we need to play our part into it, how we play our part into it. So, um, with all that being said, I just want to thank AC. Um, he's definitely been a faithful contributor to the podcast and uh, just a blessing to uh, me and I hope to you as well. Um, I want to thank all the different contributors who have come and some have, uh, uh, you know, featured on a couple of podcasts. Some have not been able to, regardless of the reason, you know, they, I, I just want to thank you for your time and your uh, diligence and just you know, um, preparing and just bringing something fresh to the table. Um, and ultimately, I want to thank you guys, you know, for who stuck with the project and who have listened. Um, I just encourage you and um, encourage you to, 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 like AC said, just stick to it. All right. This is not a year long thing that we put down. This is a lifelong thing that we uh, step forward into. So thank you for listening. Um, and these are these podcasts are available Anytime, you know, anytime you want to dig a little deeper, just pop it on, pop it in, however you listen to it. And, uh, you know, we'll be here having those uh, conversations about sports music. <laughs> and, of course, uh, things will change. Some things will yeah. be different. We had a podcast a few weeks ago where our top 10 movies, my list is different. Right, 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 right. <laughs> Five years from now, don't hold me to that list. Exactly, exactly. But, yeah, no, ultimately, thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting. And, uh, and you I got, think I speak yeah. for all of us when we want to thank you, Warren. Oh, man. Yeah, thanks. Know, this yeah. podcast wouldn't be possible without you. Appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. You know the system, the, all the stuff that goes on. Yeah. To, to the technical aspects, um, and even like being an awesome DJ. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and leading leading this thing is smooth. Yeah. Man. Uh, it's been a pleasure working with you. It's it's and, and yeah. It's been a, a huge blessing. Everybody listening, this wouldn't be possible without. Yeah. Me. Yeah. It's been it's been a pleasure to do these, and uh, it's it's definitely been um, you know enlightening me in so many different ways and i'm just looking forward to you know um the ways that we're going to step forward as a church you know having gone through the true story project and um you know see the ways that it's current uh, uh just encouraging us to uh reach out into culture and to change culture so that being said uh, thanks for listening you guys take care god bless